0: Previously on The Secret Life of the American Teenager. On Earth 2, where everything is the same, except Arby's is pronounced Arbis. Yeah, does that remind you of anyone? Because it reminds me of my freaking ex-wife! We got tired of waiting for colleges to change. So we started our own university. Waco University in Texas. What did you do in this bunker? Well, me and my brothers would play frisbee in the bunker. Really? How big was this bunker? Like, you could throw frisbees across it? We didn't really throw the frisbees. We just kind of fiddled with them in our hands. The Society Show with Christian Patterson. Not as nasty as a man who looks like he bathes in Cheeto dust. Christian Patterson. The Mm. Mayans smoked penis blood. A third building has collapsed, World Trade Center building seven. The Society Show with Christian Patterson. The blind monks in the catacombs guard the stone. It is Thursday, November 25th, 2021. This is the five-time award-winning society show. We are broadcasting live, steps away from the industrial ravage Lake Washington Ship Canal in the heartland of America, North Seattle, USA. On the program today, India's farming law repealed migrants cross the Darien Gap, migrants go into the EU through Belarus, SpaceX and NASA plan to crash a satellite into an asteroid next week, and El Salvador to build cryptocurrency-fueled Bitcoin city all of that and much much more this is the society show i gotta be honest i'm in kind of a bad mood because right before i started recording my freaking the freaking speaker on the tv stopped working and i spent like 45 minutes trying to fix it um and it i did not fix it so i'm in a little bit of a bad mood but today's gonna be a laid back episode i'm just chilling in cedar rapids it is the thanksgiving episode happy thanksgiving turkey with gravy and cranberry believe the match traded Dallas strawberry and kind of at the end of the episode i'm gonna get more into thanksgiving but uh so it's really gonna be a pretty straightforward episode I'm gonna start with some news get into thanksgiving and go from there so let's talk about the news facts don't care about your feelings facts don't care about your feelings these are facts. I am reading from Reuters. India's Modi backs down on farmer reforms in surprise victory for protesters. We covered these protests on the show a while back, and they never really ended, or at least not in they didn't end or slow down enough to. Uh, stop the pressure being put on Modi so reading from the body of the text in a surprise announcement on Friday Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi said he would repeal agriculture laws that farmers have been protesting against for more than a year sparking celebrations for what farmers called a hard-fought victory keep in mind that like Dozens of people have died protesting this. Um, This was a very well-fought battle. In this article, they say one protester was killed and many more were injured, but that, like, I think that's only one day. Let me me double-check that dozens of people have died. Yeah, this is insane. Here's the casual list on behalf of the protesters 537 fatalities some claims as high as 750 casualties hundreds more injured as for the uh, pro-government side, three BJP, basically the fascist party, um, members were killed. And the 300-plus policemen were injured. Wow, what does that mean? And, I mean, they don't even really include the injuries for the protesters' side. They just said hundreds. Um I'm not going to get too much into this law because I've talked about the specifics before and the actual specifics don't matter that much. Basically, all you need to know about them is there was some elements of Keynesian economics still left in the Indian agriculture system. By Keynesian, I mean, you know, back in the day, the government was a lot more willing to interfere with the economy to make sure it functions well in ways that would be unheard of under neoliberalism. So a lot of these laws were kind of repealing a sort of more controlled national food economy with a more integrated into the global neoliberal system uh way of farming and what this would essentially create is it would make it so the farmers in india were part of the global economy and the consequences of that is they would basically become more like employees there would be bigger and bigger business in indian farming And it would also um, remove any sort of, like, price control on on food commodities. It would make it more um, at the whims of the market. Stuff like that. Like, Kinsian... Those are kind of Keynesian laws being replaced by neoliberal laws. Um, You know, I think of it as, like, as an example. Like, Richard Nixon, we think of him as super right-wing. But before he left... Like, a little before he left office, he did place a price and a price freeze and a wage freeze on the economy. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Which is very much a Keynesian gesture that could never happen under neoliberalism. Just throwing it out there, not like it matters that much, but this was a very hard-fought one victory. Um, so, props to these protesters, and screw you, Modi. Where are you guys? I'm going home. This law sucked. You suck. And I'm glad it will not exist. <laughs> Now, the next story I am reading from NPR, this headline, a once remote patch of rainforest is now packed with migrants trying to reach the U.S. They'll get into the jungle the rainforests are talking about in a second, so... It is pretty interesting. Um, So from the body. For centuries, jungle-covered mountains, swamps, and poisonous snakes scared people away from the Darien Gap. The dense rainforest separating North and South America. It's still the only spot where the Pan-American Highway that runs from Alaska all the way to the tip of South America dissolves into mud. Now, first of all, I want to say I've never heard of this Pan-American Highway let me look at its route so okay apparently once it reaches the u.s it's kind of an unofficial highway so like through mexico central america and along um most of south america it is like an official pan-american highway once it reaches the u.s and canada it's kind of unofficial um but it does go they're right it, and then in argentina it's kind of unofficial but it does go all the way to the furthest reaches of south america the only part you cannot cross by car is the darien gap when we drive in your car so let's look at this article again and learn more about the darien gap When NPR first reached the region in September, birds singing and monkeys howling could not be heard. The main sound came from dozens of motorcycles. The passengers sitting on the back were migrants from Haiti, Venezuela, Cuba, India, and African countries. But because they lacked U.S. visas, they had to travel overland first through South and Central America and then Mexico. Now, the part that's just truly, absolutely, completely baffling is how do all those people get in, in South America? I, I don't get it. Of course, Venezuelans are there, but like, why would Haitians end up in South America? Why would Indians and Africans end up in South America? It's just truly a tragedy, and when you see some of these photos, like, they're trekking through some really dangerous-ass places. Like, there's photos of them going up cliffs... And, I mean, the the fact that no cars, you literally can't drive through this place. It, It is, like, impenetrable. And I kind of have a hard time even imagining what it has to be like for them to build a freeway from the north tip of Alaska to the south tip of Argentina. And then when they get to this place, they're just like, nah, nah, we're not doing this, nah. Nope not gonna work and like you know i'm reading a little more about it and there's a place called capra which is a tourist destination in Colombia, right by the panama border so it's basically like the biggest main city in the darien gap i suppose um i mean it is kind of in the middle of it but what this is saying is that the industry in that city it was traditionally a tourist town and now it's just totally entirely um like the main part of its economy comes from helping migrants through the Darien Gap um so it's it's, it's, you know it's just weird to even think about like and then one other thing I do want to highlight because this is very interesting to me um so in the late 1690s um a bunch of wealthy investors of the kingdom of scotland um they actually attempted to establish a scottish colony in the darien gap it was called the darien scheme and they were gonna call it new caledonia and make the capital new edinburgh freedom so basically it did not work it was uh uh kind of very poorly planned didn't amount to anything and i imagine the harsh terrain had a a, a big part of it george 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 of the jungle strong as he can be <laughs> watch out for that tree now this next story also has to do with uh immigrants Is um there's been articles going around about immigrants trying to enter Poland through uh Belarus, and the way this is being presented in the in the press is absolutely pathetic. You're a waste. You're a waste. <laughs> I I really don't support the way it's being framed, so I'll give the details. They're immigrants from the Middle East, primarily, trying to enter the EU through Belarus for months. The EU is not letting them in. And um, when they've been near the border trying to get in, what what has been tending to happen is the Polish border guards have been uh, abusing them, oppressing them, attacking them. Um, preventing them from reaching the EU. That's the context. The part of the story, the way it's reported, that I think is absolutely disgusting. I cannot, I cannot, on my daughter's birthday, believe that you would sit there and do some crap. Is they're using this as an opportunity to um, portray Lukashenko as a dictator and authoritarian. Now, I'm not like a Lukashenko. Uh, defender i really don't know much about him but it's stories like this that make me feel like he can't be as bad as the press makes him say because it's really not his fault that the eu Uh, is not letting migrants in and it's really really not his fault that the poland border guards are brutalizing them but the way it's being portrayed is he it's they're like oh he knows that of course the poland police are just gonna beat the crap out of him he's using these migrants as weapons and I really don't think it's appropriate. In fact, I think it's disgusting that a country trying to let immigrants go to their desired destination, that that could be conceived as a weapon in any possible way. Like, that is disgusting. Um, So I'm going to read from this article from the BBC. uh, So you get an idea about how, how it's being portrayed. Thousands of migrants, mainly from the Middle East, have been trying to get into the EU via Belarus for months. And In an exclusive interview, Alexander Lukashenko told me, quote, We're Slavs. We have hearts. Our troops know the migrants are going to Germany. Now, of course, that, that quote is obviously cheeky. Um, it's obviously loaded with implication but the point still stands like if they're going if they're immigrants going to Germany then it is it is right to let them go I don't think it's appropriate to be like no you have to stay in Belarus because uh, the EU doesn't want you Um, so adding on to a quote from Lukashenko quote maybe someone help them I won't even look into this um, and I mean, I think that's that's kind of cold seeming, but I think that's the logical response too. like no one says to Mexico, you either have. To, well, I guess the U.S. does. But think about like if someone's like to Mexico, you have to hold these immigrants and Uh, If if you let them pass, you're using them as weapons against the U.S. That is what the most deranged right-winger says in the U.S., but in Europe, that's just common sentiment. Um, So reading more from the uh, article, the EU, NATO and the US have accused the Belarus leader of luring migrants to the border with a false promise of easy entry to the EU, something he has denied, quoting from Lukashenko again. I told them, the EU, I'm not going to detain migrants on the border, hold them at the border. And if they keep coming from now on, I still won't stop them because they're not coming to my country. They're going to. To yours but i didn't invite them here and to be honest i don't want them to go through belarus that is like totally absolutely reasonable position to have about migrants like honestly, honestly. It, it's disgusting the way like i get it that the u.s and nato really wants to coup belarus we get it but like the way they're per- presenting immigrants in, in in pursuit of that goal is pathetic the article does instantly transition to talking about how uh, lukashenko uh, suppresses protests so it makes me realize, yeah, we have kind of weak tea, and this talking point kind of makes us look bad. So don't forget he brutalized protesters. Never mind that every country in the EU does that as well. And the US. Every NATO country brutalizes the shit out of protesters. Um, so don't forget that. I'll add that in there. Authoritarians who want to control us so that they can have us silent. For this next story... Um, The actual content of the story, I'm not as interested in. I'm more interested by the implications. So this is from Engadget.com. The headline, SpaceX and NASA plan to crash a satellite into an asteroid next week. Now, if you just read this article... So not that much interesting to it, to be honest. Like, the main reason they're shooting a satellite into an asteroid is to test if it would be enough force to knock an asteroid um, off its path. So say an asteroid's heading towards Earth. Would they be able to crash a satellite into it and make it not crash into Earth? That's what they're testing. And, I mean... On the one hand, it is interesting because it does show our increasingly spaceified world. We're moving closer and closer to occupying space, taking up space, using space. But the thing I really want to highlight is the fact that it's SpaceX doing it. SpaceX and NASA. So what I imagine their relationship between them is... NASA is giving SpaceX the money to do this because after all, SpaceX is SpaceX is a contractor for NASA. So what probably happened is, you know, NASA said we have a contract to shoot a satellite into an asteroid people like blue origin um you know which is jeff bezos and spacex and who knows what else virgin space or whatever the hell that is all probably submitted bids for this contract and spacex won it what's the point of that that why do i keep like harping on that the reason is this paints a really bleak like vision of the future because this is something NASA would have done on their own not that long ago. It is the selling off of the government to private entities. And you might be like, oh, well, I mean, it is space exploration. Maybe private entities would handle that better than, uh, than NASA. For one, I don't really agree. But even if that's true, this is just a, a symbol it's a metonymy as they say, it's a small thing to represent a bigger thing of how the government is is selling off its abilities to private corporations because it's not just NASA who does this, it's the CIA, it's the FBI, it's the NSA, it's every government agency is doing shit like this. They are selling the government away to private corporations. This is something I harp on all the time because it's increasingly becoming the reality and there will increasingly be bigger and bigger consequences of this happening not only that but this is not reversible the only way this would be reversible is just a full-on switch but the government like switch of government systems or economic systems but the government's never getting that power back from the private capitalists it's just kaput it is gone dead 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 The government has yielded their power to the capitalists, and they don't have enough power to get it back. Warren von Braun, the guy who directed all six moon missions, was a Nazi. Speaking of uh, kind of bleak techno futures, this story headline, El Salvador to build cryptocurrency-fueled Bitcoin city. Stocks, gold, real estate, and ETFs. Everyone's talking about that. But what about the forgotten child? Cryptocurrency. If you aren't familiar, El Salvador is now a country, I believe it's the only country, where Bitcoin is simply a legal tender. Their president is a kind of. I'd describe him as seeming like a frat bro. Man, I love college. Hey. But, like, I don't think they have fraternities in. in el salvador he just seems like a real right-wing dope he seems exactly like the type of right-wing dope who exists in the u.s like it kind of shows how small the world is he posts really shitty ass memes um and stuff like that he's been protested against and And he also, you know, in May 2021, he did this parliamentary, parliamentarian move where he fired um, several judges, the attorney general, and has been accumulating power a bit. Uh, He adopted Bitcoin, which is just, it's stupid. He self-describes himself as the dictator of El Salvador and the coolest dictator in the world, but his approval rating is baffling. He regularly gets a 90% approval rating or higher. I I don't get it um, at all. Um... But that also seems like kind of wrong because there were protests against him, especially his new uh, Bitcoin laws. There were the anti-Bitcoin protests against him this year, this summer. So I kind of doubt like if there's that many people willing to protest, I really kind of doubt that uh, that he really has a 90 percent approval rating. Um, but the city, so I'll read from the headline. In a rock concert-like atmosphere, El Salvador President Nayib Bukele announced that his government will build an oceanside Bitcoin city at the base of a volcano. Bukale used a gathering of Bitcoin enthusiasts Saturday night to launch his latest idea, much as he used... An earlier Bitcoin conference in Miami to announce in a video message that El Salvador would be the first country to make the cryptocurrency legal tender. I mean, I really don't have much to say about this. I've said a lot that I have to say, but it's just seems like so dumb, so stupid. Um, It would have no zero tax, absolutely no tax. And they claim that they'd used geothermal energy to power the city to make up for the extreme amount of energy wasted from generating the Bitcoin to begin with. But anyway, that's that's the idea. Pretty bleak. This guy seems like a major douchebag. This this president, I mean. That party last night was awfully crazy. I wish we taped it. I my ass off and had this one girl completely naked. And finally, I am going to get into um, a segment on Thanksgiving shortly, but I do, as much as it pains me to, I do want to get into Kyle Rittenhouse. The reason I say it pains me is I just don't want to talk about it. It's shitty. Kyle Shittinghouse. Um. What I do have to say about it, though, I'm not concerned with, like, oh, whether he technically legally did self-defense. If you listen to this show, you know we're not really concerned about the law. They almost seem to make up laws just for charging fines. We're not even concerned with moral or ethical systems determined by bourgeois society. We're more interested in looking at the historical the material, the, the context, we're, we're looking to understand things, not make value judgments about them, right? Well, when it comes to Kyle Rittenhouse, like, this establishes such a bleak standard moving forward, and I can only see this being a really dark trajectory, um, so let me explain kyle rittenhouse went to a protest and killed two people he also shot a third one uh, in the arm basically blew off his arm the reason it's bad that he didn't get sentenced for anything he was declared not guilty is because he supposedly was uh, performing self-defense the issue with this is right-wingers will be able to go to any protest environment. All they have to see is, like, one person flipping a car or moving a garbage can into the street or lighting something on fire. And they could escalate as much as they want. And all they all they need to know is that, like, someone was rioting. Ooh. And all of a sudden it now becomes self-defense a lot of the kyle shittinghouse copycats will likely get charged because i mean i think the the way those dopes will see it is like the court system's giving me free reign to kill some commies (laughs) But that won't actually be how it actually happens. They'll probably show up to protest, just become an active shooter, start unloading into people and be like, I'm innocent. Yeah. Self-defense. You know, all they have to do is like put on a little show for the cops and, and they'll be good. But. I don't think many of those copycats will be found innocent in the court of law. They'll just end up killing a bunch of people. We're reaching a point, you know, if we're going off of the like let's let's use the German civil war, the German attempted revolution as a standard. We're reaching the point where it's the protests in the street are turning into like battlefields as they do during civil wars protests it's not like all of a sudden oh there's like guerrilla warfare in the street it elevates to that over time it so i think this is a really scary precedent and i also think That the structure of the United States, I'm not imposing any agency on any one group. I'm not imposing agency on the judge. But the structure, the ideological and repressive structures of the U.S. state, I feel like this is them basically saying, all right, we have a huge problem with mass shootings. Huge problem. What are we going to do about it? well we can't take their guns we've already decided we're not taking anyone's guns we're not going to make anything better we're not going to improve anyone's quality of life in a way that might deter them from shooting up what could we do instead And, and then they think about it and they're like you know we did have like the biggest protest movement in american history here last year and We didn't really change anything afterwards, society's exactly the same, so, you know, we're bound to have even bigger protests moving forward. What if we took all these mass shooters and just uh, made them aim their guns at these protesters we don't want? That seems like a good solution to several of our problems. Like, I really think this this decision is the ideological state apparatus being like, you you know how SpaceX is contracted to NASA? What if we started contracting out police work to right wing nuts who just show up to protest with guns? That sounds pretty good. Why not? They'll even do it for free. They want to feel like Rambo. And we want these people dead, so let's just mix those things together. That is exactly the consequence. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. And it is Thanksgiving, so we're just going to wrap up with a uh, nice Thanksgiving story. And what I really want to focus on is where did Thanksgiving come from? We've all heard the story about Squanto and the pilgrims and them eating sweet potatoes together and everything being good. But... um. Not only is that a terrible narrative, most people know it's a terrible narrative, and I'll get into that a little bit. But what what I want to focus on is what happened before that. Why did Thanksgiving become an idea to begin with? Because that was not the first Thanksgiving. Um, it It was not the first attempt at Thanksgiving. It was the first American Thanksgiving in a way, but let's get into it. So... Basically, in England, there were days of thanksgiving and thanksgiving uh, services held at churches and whatnot, and they started gaining their role in society, started becoming a thing during the English Reformation, during the reign of Henry VIII. Amen. and the reason they started celebrating thanksgiving is because there were a ton of religious holidays on the like that Catholics celebrated. So before 1536, there were 95 church holidays plus 52 Sundays. So you were required to go to church those days. It's almost like 140 days a year. And you weren't supposed to work And this really goes to show the feudal system. They would make the peasants pay for the celebrations um, at the church while also making them go. But in 1536, the Church of England reduced the number of uh, church holidays to 27, from 95 to 27. Puritans, on the other hand... Um, wanted to eliminate all church holidays, including Christmas, which in my mind, that's a big no, no. that's that's sign number one not to listen to the Puritans. And what the Puritans wanted to do was replace the the holidays with days of fasting and days of Thanksgiving. So that's kind of the context. Like I want to highlight that Thanksgiving, even though we think of it as sort of a settler holiday, holiday for massacring Native Americans, and I'll get into that. It did start long before Puritans or pilgrims were ever settlers. It started in the Reformation, and they're ostensibly originally anti Catholic holidays. That's something that doesn't really get spelled out that much. Some of the things that uh, the the original pilgrims and Puritans celebrated for were actually all anti-Catholic things. So they uh, celebrated victory over the Spanish Armada in 1588. Um, They also celebrated the deliverance of Queen Anne in 1605. And by deliverance, I mean like giving birth i kind of had to look into that i was like what do they mean by deliverance and i mean the interesting thing about queen anne is that she was uh basically known as a protestant but may have potentially converted to catholicism at one point anyway but i mean i think they were celebrating her because she had gave birth to a non-catholic um they also gave thanksgiving following the failure of the gunpowder plot in 1605, which this developed into Guy Fawkes Day. Remember, remember the 5th of November. There's a lot of really like, at this point in British history, there are a lot of elements that are kind of anti-Catholic, and they were giving thanks when when Catholic powers were being defeated, basically. (laughs) That's how I would describe it. In sixteen twenty-one, um that is when we think of as the true blue first, regular old Thanksgiving. And it was the first one where they started it as a yearly tradition. So the Plymouth settlers were pilgrims, which are were a little different than Puritans, but same idea. They settled on land that had been abandoned. And it had only been abandoned because the Pawtuxet Indians all died in a disease outbreak. It used to be inhabited land. And then so they settled there. Half the people died in a harsh winter. And then Squanto... I believe that he basically avoided the plague or the mass mass death of his people because he was a slave in Europe, and so he had kind of not suffered the same consequences that his people had. He'd already been exposed, I think. I don't really know. He did end up dying shortly after, so take with that what you will squanto basically became like an interpreter for the pilgrims and i mean but in a lot of ways he's functionally a prisoner he ended up dying soon after anyway he didn't have people anymore he was seen as nothing but a tool by the pilgrims so in a lot of ways like he didn't really have a choice but to help them now, the really kind of sad thing is that around the time of this Thanksgiving, the Wampanoag leader, Massasoit, um, was helping the colonists heavily. They they really wanted the English to survive. And the reason why is Massasoit wanted to build an alliance between his people, the Wampanoag, um, who had also been greatly damaged by this um, plague that killed the petuxet they wanted to team up with the english so they could fight against the narragansett tribe um, who had not suffered due to the plague this is very similar to the texcoco people allying I think it was Texcoco and Tlaxcala allying with the Spanish conquistadors to fight against the Aztecs. Very similar. And then another thing is the Wampanoag tribe did not believe that the settlers had any violent intentions. They were like, well, they brought their kids and wives along. Why would they try to go to war with us if they're bringing their wives and kids? Little did they know. And one, the last thing I want to point out is that, um, you know, for our purposes, the Puritans and the Pilgrims were basically the same, but they were different. The Pilgrims settled the Plymouth Colony, which is south of Boston, like the southeast corner of present-day Massachusetts. The Puritans settled around where Boston are. So both groups were Calvinists. I mean, I was also raised a Calvinist. Presbyterians are technically Calvinist. Anything called a Reformed Church is Calvinist. the The main way they were different, though, is Puritans wanted to remain in the Anglican Church and change it, um, but the Pilgrims wanted to separate from the church. Um, and the Puritans were also more aggressive about wanting to abolish holidays than the Pilgrims were. But otherwise, I mean, they did come to the U.S. with the same goals. So that that's a brief little insight into Thanksgiving for you. Don't have much more to say about it. But, um, you know, this has been a pretty laid-back episode. It's a Thanksgiving episode. It'll be short. But uh, having said that, my name is Christian. Thank you for listening to The Society Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Christian is cool. Is spelled I Z Christian I Z cool. You can follow the show on Twitter at Society underscore Show. You can uh, find out how to contact the show um, because we do have a voicemail line. We have an email. We have all kinds of stuff. You can also learn more about the Society stream, which I. Uh try to do when I can. I'm not very consistent, but it's up there. Uh you can find out all that stuff at societyshow.net. And with that, thank you for listening to the Society Show.